0: Ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John Chapter fourteen, John Chapter fourteen, verses twelve to twenty four. Middle of what um, Theologians called the Farewell Discourse, uh, Christ is now in the midst of telling and speaking to his disciples about the fact that he's going to go away, and he tells them that they will be enabled to do greater works once he has left. Let's pay attention to the reading of God's Word, John chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, Nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This has been the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask for God's blessing on it this evening. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us, unfold it. Be with me as I explain and preach it, Lord. Be with all of us as we sit under the ministry of your word. Holy Spirit, we do cry out to you to do the work that no human can do to transform and change hearts, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we live in a time where people are desperate for purpose and meaning. A time where there's a vacuum of meaning. Uh, I wonder why we stay up late at nights, uh, scrolling our Facebook feeds and reading different uh, social media outlets. I think we are searching for something meaningful, something that will captivate our attention and uh, draw us in. And certainly the companies who design these things know that we're searching for something meaningful and purposeful. The uh, Beatles sang in the 1960s a song that has stuck with me, a song about meaninglessness and not moving anywhere. They say this, he's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? They're singing about uh, not knowing the future, not being oriented toward anything that they're headed to. And they're captivating, they're capturing this reality of seeking something purposeful and meaningful. And it's interesting how they actually acknowledge that this is their reality. Why is John 14 this evening so important. Why do you need to hear what God has to say to you? Well, for disoriented and scared disciples who are just now hearing that their master, their teacher, is going to leave them, they are reoriented, they're told, and they're comforted that through a set of of paradoxes, strange, seeming contradictions, he will actually work through them purposefully. They will do mighty and great works. He says even greater works than he accomplished while he was in his earthly ministry. And here, they will not be left scared and uh, captivated by a sense of purposelessness. They will bear the very authority of Christ himself as they go out. You remember that in his ministry, Christ has uh, cast out demons. He's spoken powerfully and done great signs and wonders. He's spoken, and Lazarus has walked out of the grave. And yet he says to his disciples, I'm going to leave, and what I will accomplish later is a greater work than all these things. Christ addresses his disciples, but through us they would go, uh, through them they would go and, and plant a foundation, a foundation of the apostles and prophets, the church that would be established against which the gates of hell would not prevail. And God is saying to us that he would accomplish these great works in the future. Well, What are these great things that Christ is going to do. There are three paradoxes, three seemingly contradictory realities. First, I want us to see in our passage tonight that weakness is power when we pray. Weakness is power when we pray. Second, I want us to see that love is demonstrated when we obey. And then third, we'll see that leaving Christ will actually stay. Weakness is power when we pray, love is demonstrated when we obey. And leaving Christ will actually stay with his people, stay with us. Well, notice in our text tonight, Jesus says, truly, truly, I said to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do and greater works these will, these will he do because I'm going to the Father and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Christ is saying to his disciples and through them to us that as they pray, after he uh, ascends and goes to the right hand of the Father, as they cry out in prayer, God will do mighty and powerful things through their prayers. Uh, Prayer seems so weak on the outside. Maybe you've been raised in the church and so you take it for granted that you pray for things. Uh, You pray before your meals and you uh, pray for things that your heart is set on and you pray day in and day out. But have you stopped and thought about how seemingly weak prayer is? You're praying to a person that you don't see. You're waiting. You're asking Uh, The disciples may have wanted something uh, outward and visible right away, powerfully immediate for them, but instead Christ says, the way that you're going to do these great works after I leave is that you are going to ask the Father in my name, and I am going to delight to act when you ask. Notice the scope of this comprehensive offer about prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, 13, verse 14. If you ask me anything, I will do it. Now, Christ is not warning us tonight about the temptation or the tendency towards self-oriented prayers. Maybe you've been taught as a Christian you should pray some form like uh, adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, and supplication so that your prayers are not too self-oriented oriented. That's a good form to use. We should pray the Lord's Prayer, but that's not what Christ is talking about in this passage tonight. He's saying, "Pray. Pray pray in season and pray out of season. Ask me. Ask the Father in my name, and I will act the seemingly weak deed that Christians engage in." nighttimes when we can't sleep and in the mornings when we wake up, parents who are worried about their children, pastors who are concerned about their members, the seemingly weak thing of crying out to God, our Father, and asking that he will act in the name of Jesus is one of the great things that Christ says he will do through us, his church. Prayer is weakness and prayer is dependence. It's trusting and knowing that God is powerful and in and of ourselves we are not. We are not capable of living our lives in our own power. And so Christ calls his disciples to see that they will ask and that he will act. Do you actually believe this tonight? Um, Do you pray with confidence and expectation that when you pray in the name of Jesus, according to his will, that God is glorified to act and actually do what you ask him for. Did you notice in the passage that that's what Jesus says? This I will do. When you ask in my name, I am going to do it that the Father may be glorified in me. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Yes, we can ask wrongly, as James says, to spend it on our passions, but the challenge from this passage and the call, the great work that Christ will do through his disciples, is that they will ask and he will answer their prayers and the Father will be glorified. Um, The way that This is true. The way that this is greater than what Christ has done, the signs and the wonders that Christ had done in his earthly ministry, the way that we are able to pray in ways that the disciples had not prayed yet is that Christ was leaving them and going to the Father. He was going to ascend to his place of authority and glory and power. You remember at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority now in heaven and on earth is mine. It's been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's in his ascending and his sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's in his uh, interceding for us, his church, that Christ has this new uh, accomplished power that we are able to ask. And he says, I will do it. You have access to the king of the universe, the king of the cosmos, to pray in the name of of Christ and know that your prayers will be heard. God is a good father. He loves to listen to his children saying, I don't know what to do. Help me, lead me, answer me. Cry- I'm crying out to you, Father. Well, what will this do in the disciples then? What posture should they be oriented toward Christ as they pray, as they cry out in his name, how should they be oriented? Well, we see second what is also a paradox that love will be demonstrated in obedience. Love will be demonstrated in obedience. And I describe it as a paradox because oftentimes in our time, we completely have separated love and obedience. Um, we think of uh, obedience as a constraining, a difficult, hard thing. And Jesus is hes not even commanding that they obey. He's just saying, this is going to happen. If you love me, you are going to keep my commandments. Notice how many ways in different times he says this. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my My word. And then he says the reverse, the contrast, the opposite reality. Whoever does not love me, verse 24, does not keep my words. Real love is always fleshed out in obedience. You might be asking yourself tonight, um, will I ever be able to obey like I should? Will I ever be able to keep all the commandments of Christ perfectly? Again, this is not what Christ is addressing in this passage. He's saying, true love for me, true love for God will always reflect itself in obedience. Again, we tend to think of obedience as something that has to be uh, compulsory or uh, a duty enforced on us. But uh, imagine or maybe remember when you were falling in love. Uh, You were getting to know someone uh, that you were interested in, and they were interested in you. If you were a young man, this young uh, lady said to you, uh, "You look nice in certain clothing." Let's say they make a suggestion about how you look and what you're how you're dressed. Uh, you know, I love red clothing on you, or I love the shoes that you wore today. Well, what happens with that young person? Uh, suddenly, those clothing and those shoes are the only ones that they want to wear. Right? They want to please the the person that they are delighting in. They see a future with them. They want to do what this person uh, loves and delights in. And Christ is saying to us this evening, if you love me, you're going to want to do what I love. You will keep my commandments. It's not even uh, going to need to be uh, compulsory. Sometimes do Christians have to just grit their teeth and do the right thing? Absolutely we will have to do that. Um, but genuine love will always flow out in real obedience. They're not enemies. They're not uh, attacking each other. Our hearts have been captivated by a new love, and this is genuinely new in the new covenant. It is a greater thing in terms of redemptive history. It's a greater work that the disciples would be enabled to keep God's commandments, that they would love and then obey Jesus because of that love. In the old covenant, even as we reflected this morning god's people were told these are my commandments this is my covenant do this keep this covenant and as moses comes to the edge of uh, the paradise edge of the promised land he comes up to the edge and he says these are the commandments that god has given you to keep but he also tells them you aren't going to keep these moses says in deuteronomy 31 i know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way i've commanded you and in the days to come evil will befall you because you will not do what because you will do what is evil in the sight of the lord provoking him to anger through the work of your hands what a contrast moses leaving and saying i know you're not going to keep these commands and jesus speaks to his disciples and says because i'm leaving you are going to be enabled finally in the new covenant to love And to obey, there had been a great day anticipated in the Old Testament when God would finally give new hearts to His people, when God would take out the heart of stone, the hardened heart of His people, and give them finally the desire and the ability to obey Him from a new and regenerated and changed heart. The Old Testament people had the Holy Spirit, of course, and regeneration, but there's this newness and there's a fullness in the new covenant as Christ leaves his disciples at the end of his ministry and pours out the Spirit. Finally, we are enabled to love and to do God's commands. This is the way that Paul speaks in Romans chapter 8. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order the righteous requirement by the law might be fulfilled in us. God enables you to do what He loves, what He commands. I mean, be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Christ is saying, I'm going to leave. I'm going to face a cross. What will seem like death and loss is going to accomplish transformative victory in you. You will finally not be a slave to your sin anymore. You've been united to a crucified Savior, and you will be able to put to death that sinful nature. Well, the third weapon that Christ gives His church, and it's a paradox as well, the third great thing that He says is going to happen now that He's leaving is that His presence will go with them. (laughs) Leaving, He's going to stay with them. Um, I think the problem oftentimes with being a Christian is you've heard the story of the Bible over and over and over again, so it just becomes very familiar and you just neglect these wonderful, stunning truths about what God has told us. In John 1, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory. Glory as the only one of the Father full of grace and truth. But that incarnate word is leaving his disciples and he's saying it's actually going to be better for him to leave. In order for them to have his lasting presence, he has to leave them. And yet he promises to them, I will not leave you, verse 18, as orphans, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's promising his enduring presence forever. What is the experience of an orphan? Well, as we opened the sermon this evening, uh, there's a dislocation that goes with being an orphan. It's a sense of not knowing what your past is, where you come from, and not having a sense of passing something on into the future. Uh, Orphans have basic questions about their lives that they ask. What is my medical history? What disease could I come down with? Uh, What was wrong with me that I was not uh, loved and uh, desired? Um, Orphans, whether orphaned by death or by just circumstances, feel that dislocation that the disciples are feeling in this moment. Their master is going to leave and they're wondering, what is our future? Where are we going? What is the purpose of all of this All of us, all of you, were born spiritually as orphans. You had a specific past. You were born in death and sin in Adam. Your representative had acted already on your behalf, and what he did determined what you deserved, death and condemnation. You were cut off spiritually. You did not have a status and a standing in and of yourself. All of us spiritually are orphans. And yet, Jesus promises to his disciples that they will be adopted and welcomed, and his presence is going to go with them, and they will know that they are loved and owned and purchased and redeemed forever. He will not leave them. He promises this to you tonight. He says to you, I'm not going to Leave you alone in your questions and your doubt and your uncertainty. I'm not going to abandon you. My presence will not leave you. And again, in the story of redemption, this is a remarkable promise because the problem in the old covenant, again, was that a holy God was going to come and dwell with his people. And there were things that needed to happen in the structure of how the covenant was administered. The temple protected in some sense God, protected the people from God's holy presence. The book of Hebrews tells us that as long as there was a most holy and holy place, as long as those things were standing, as long as there was a wall barring the entrance, God's people could not enter into His presence and find the rest and communion that they were intended to, that we were intended to. But a coming day was promised in the Old Covenant when God would come and rejoice over his people, when he would sing over them and delight in being with them and being present in them. And Jesus accomplishes what Israel could not do. And he tells his disciples, I am going to be with you. I am not going to leave you. I will attend to you. I will be with you. I will protect you. I will give you a new status as a true son and as a true daughter of your heavenly Father. Well, how does Jesus accomplish this as we close? How does Christ accomplish these wonderful, great works that he promises you will do? How did Christ accomplish your freedom to come to the Father and to pray? How did he certify that you're going to live in obedience because of your love for him? And how does he promise his eternal presence? Well, the perfect son, the one who delighted to do everything that the father had given him, took on flesh, as we saw in John 1, and dwelt among us. And he was rejected, and he was despised, he was shamed and spit upon and everything that we deserved as orphans spiritually who did not have a status and a standing fell on Christ on a cross and so Christ cries out at the end of his life why am i forsaken why o oh father do i have to face this sin and yet it's for the joy set before him that Christ endures all of that he knew that his bride needed to be purchased this way he knew that access to the father in prayer could only be secured for sinful people if a perfect and righteous lamb was handed over for sinners like you and like me he knew you would only be able to obey freely from the heart with joy if your bondage to sin was cracked and broken open by his death and resurrection. And he knew that God can only safely dwell with his people eternally if the bridge between sinners and a holy God was reconciled. And so Christ says to you tonight, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You don't live a meaningless, nowhere future the Father and the Spirit and the Son will come and dwell with us forever, and we will live in the presence of our God eternally, delighting to do everything that the Father has spoken to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we um, receive these great truths and realities about prayer about obedience flowing from love, about the fact that you want to live with us. You want to make a home and dwell, and you have made it possible, and you have, through the death and resurrection of your Son, accomplished the pouring out of your Spirit. Lord, we ask that we would see the mission of your church going forward, accomplishing victories. Lord, even when outwardly, these things seem so weak on the surface. Lord, as we cry out to you in prayer, we pray that the lost, Lord, those who are bound in death and sin would be captivated by your love, uh, that your church would proclaim this gospel, and that many would uh, delight in this truth. Lord, we need you. Please accomplish this work now by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's um, prepare now to come to the Lord's table. Ask the elders to come come forward. This is my first time having the privilege of administering the supper uh, with you all. Uh, I'm sure I will make some mistake or do something wrong. So, uh, um, This is a Meal that sets um, before us the truths that we heard about. Um, it's something that seems weak and um, uh, silly for us to do as Christians. Uh, we take a little bit of bread and we drink from this table uh, wine, and yet, as we confessed in this service, we say that we, through the power of the Spirit and by faith, get to participate partake of nothing less than Christ himself. This is one of the means that Christ is spreading his kingdom. He's spreading his kingdom by the preaching of his word, but also through sacraments. He's consecrating people through baptism, and then he's feeding them. He's storming the castle of Satan by feeding his army. But again, through what seems on the surface paradoxically very weak and very humble. Um, This is a meal for Christians. This is a meal for Christ's church, Um, so uh, we ask uh, that you be uh, trusting in Christ alone for salvation, that you are a member of a Bible-believing and evangelical church. If you're not a Christian tonight, we ask that you let the elements um, pass, but we're so grateful that you came and heard uh, the ministry of the gospel. Um, and we pray for a day when you uh, will join us at this table as well. Any of the men that you see spreading the uh, elements or myself would love to talk to you uh, afterward. Let's give thanks now for the bread and for the cup. Our Father, we thank you that you promise to hear our prayers, that you delight uh, to feed us on your word And that you enable us, by the power of your spirit, to taste the heavenly food of Christ at this table. You fed Israel in the wilderness, the manna that they needed. And Lord, now you feed us at your table. Take these very ordinary things, Lord, and set them aside for this glorious and eternal use. We pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. On the same night that our Lord was betrayed... He took bread, and when He blessed it, He broke it and gave it to His disciples, as I now ministering in His name, break this bread and give it to you.